The following is a hoop ball presentation. Follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, as I always say. So make sure to check out hoop ball on Twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop ball.com. We got just a little over 40 days until the NBA season begins. Fantasy NBA is going to be starting very, very soon. Definitely make sure to get all of the tips, tricks, action, everything you want from hoop ball. We have the um, brewski, uh, 150 out we have our nba uh, fancy nba draft guide out everything as far as sleepers keepers who to play who to watch out for all of that um you can only find it with us so definitely make sure to check that out at hoop ball tweets on twitter hoop dash ball.com online all right off season we are still cranking out some really fun conversations with, with some really dope people and i am pleased to have yet another one of those people here with me today i have matt issa to join me, um, you can find him on Twitter at MattIssa15, M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15, altogether. Uh, definitely make sure to check him out. But before we even get started, Matt, how you doing? And tell us what you've been up to. You got something big cooking up here. Hey, Corbin. How's it going, man? Um, been pretty good. Enjoying the holiday. Uh, you know, just just living life. Um, you know, we're recording right now. It's Labor Day. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I do have a big thing you alluded to. We'll kind of talk about in a little bit. But yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Absolutely, man. Of course. And I just realized I, I we share the same birthday. Crazy. Yeah, March fifteenth. Yes, yes, sir. What, what year were you born? Um, I'm a ninety fiver. Okay, so you're a little bit older than me. A little bit, I'm yeah. Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay, cool. My brother's in that same range. Um, but his December, so he's a little later in there. But that's cool. Look at that. that that's the, that's the 15th. A, huh? My, my claim to fame is I share a birthday month, and so do you, with uh, Shaq. I think Shaq's born on the 5th of March, if I'm oh, not wow. mistaken. Hey, there you go. Greatness, you know, it, it comes together. It comes in pairs, threes, all kinds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Um, we're, I want to tell, tell us a little bit about, we're going to talk about a little more in depth. We're doing, well, we're, our conversation today is, we you know, we're doing a little countdown, a little, a little best. Um, I think it's going to kind of come in key here with uh, what you're going to share later on. But we are talking about the best teams to have not won at all. Um, our top five, we each picked five, did not share them with each other just to have maximum, you know, not only conversation factor, but also surprise, um, you know, in terms of who we picked and who we did not pick. So um, when you first thought about this, what kind of went through your mind in terms of going through, I mean, for every winner, there's a loser. So in, in looking at, you know, each team to not have done it all. What kind of went into your rankings of what was the best team to have not walked away with it all? Yeah. Um, so what I did, uh, you know, I started out with, I looked at every team. So I personally, I only looked at teams post merger. So post, uh, 1967, simplify, simplify matters. And I looked at the uh, simple rating system for every team, 
from 97, I mean, 76 to 2021. And I took every team that scored over a seven. A seven's usually like championship contender uh, range in that stat. And I wrote them down and then I, I looked at the 13 or 14 best scores and I started to look through their team offensive rating and team defensive rating for that season. I looked at some of the individual players. I thought about like the playoff runs and some uh, miscues that might've happened, some unfortunate circumstances that might've kept them from being where they needed to be. And then, yeah, I made I ranked the five, a lot of arbitrary decision-making there, but that's basically, those three stats are basically the, they make up most of the statistical analysis I used that being, you know, SRS offensive rating and defensive rating. Oh, that is awesome, man. That is awesome. I, I want to say I did uh, as a deep dive of statistical analysis as you did, but I didn't. Um, I looked at strength of schedule and um, I'm not straight the schedule, but like the, the SRS, I keep saying same schedule, but like just in terms of um, their final rankings so like you know for me a lot matter okay were you a good team that had a strong roster but flamed out you know in the second round um were you a western conference finals contender or did you make the finals what was your team makeup how did you exit was it due to like you know an injury or a team just being even better than you in in that case um or even in, in the case of lebron which was so interesting because i had a few teams with him um i went back and forth and i'm gonna mention this team because i didn't put them there but i had the 2017 Cavs that kind of went high for me not because they were one of his better teams in terms of um, raw talent. I mean, you could look at the 2014 Miami Heat runner-up as one of those, but just in terms of the sheer offensive force they had, that was a lot of weapons at disposal that I don't really think get talked about as much. Um, with that being said, defensively, they couldn't guard my grandma, so that was something as well. But it was a lot of fun. Really just gave me, gave me an excuse to kind of dive back into the tape, look at some classic rosters, and, and kind of go from there. Yeah, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this when we talk about my series a little bit, but that's definitely like my niche is like historical analysis. I feel like there's so many guys who do a great job of like covering the day-to-day stuff. Yep. And so like this, this kind of thing, you know, I was so excited when you said, let's do top, top five teams of all time, because like, it's you're right. It's like, and I have an excuse to, to be on basketball reference more than you should be, you know, <laughs> dude, I'm right there with you down to that same vein of like, yes, like it's really neat to be able to, you know, talk about modern basketball and, and you know, the day-to-day stuff, the news, the, the trade machine and all of that. But like the stuff that's came before us, the classic games, the players, the teams, that means a lot to me as well. I love having an historical slant in my, you know, and on this NBA show, because I feel like that's the stuff we grew up watching. Like, yeah, those players, we have retired. Those games are long gone, but it's still something to look back on, remember um, to celebrate it. It's part of the rich tapestry that is the NBA's history. Oh yeah. I love that word tapestry. Lexicon of words. Hey, see, there you go. You dropped one too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a library day job of me talking there. But um, yeah, let's without further ado get started. I'm gonna throw it to you first as our guest for your number five team, the best of the rest. Yeah, um, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this one, but um, so at number five, I actually go with the 1993-1994 Seattle SuperSonics. Whoa, and I know. I know they like famously, you know, got beat by Dikembe Mutombo and the Nuggets, the eighth seed, the first team to ever have that happen to them. But just look at this. Okay, so strength of schedule is an 8.68, which is the seventh best of any team that has never um, won an NBA championship in NBA history, at least, you know, dating back to post-1976. That season, they have the second best offense and about plus five relative offensive rating. And then 
the third best defense in about, again, plus, I mean, excuse me, minus five defensive rating, which is, you know, both like elite level marks relative to the rest of the league. You look at that roster, I think that's the best of a, a really good supersonics run for about four or five years where they're like a team that averages about 60 wins during that time span. But I think that's the best the roster looks during that time, you know, with Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Della Shrimp, and all of them. And of course, coach George Carl, probably his best performance as a coach, if you ask me, during his career. But um, I think that the one thing that hurts them is how small of a sample size of games the first rounds were. I mean, you know, Ben Taylor talks about this in his book that we should probably have 22 games to like in a series to accurately decide who the best team is. I know that's like impossible because no one would care enough to watch 22 games of the same series, but <laughs> five is definitely, I don't think enough to accurately like determine if the goal of the playoffs is to, for the best team to win, you want to have a large enough sample size to find that out. And I think with five games, there's still too much room for noise as opposed to like seven where you get the two more games. And I think if they were playing in a seven game series, which is of course now the format for first round games, they beat the Seattle supersonics. And then when you look at the team that won it all that year, the, the rockets, those, those Hakeem led rocket teams were not that strong, especially if you look at, you know, SRS Um, other than Hakeem, you know, they don't really have like an offensive creator, at least on the perimeter. You know, I do think they benefit a lot because of Rudy Tomjanovich's kind of like visionary approach to the game and how ahead of his time he was. But I really believe, though, that that Rockets team was very beatable. And the Knicks team that, of course, was beat by the Rockets was very beatable. And yeah, I think that if, you know, if the, so- the Sonics were a little bit more fortunate, they, they, might be NBA champions in 94 and we might still have a team in Seattle to be honest today. Wow. I mean, you gave a very compelling case for that. I like the fact that you went back to the old school Seattle squad. Um, shout to, you know, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, those guys, uh, just a really solid roster. And you're right who they ended up. And I think that was something that factored into my own personal rankings as well. It's like, this was a good squad for whatever reason. They didn't make it to the finals or didn't you were in, you know, whatever didn't win the finals, but like, also, not just looking at how good they were, but how good were they relative to their opponent or to the eventual champion? Um, you know, was that squad, you know, deserving one in terms of, I mean, you deserve it if you win. But, like, when you look at that squad, like, from um, a, a more roster breakdown, like, okay, do they have a strong, you know, core group of players? Was it one guy kind of carrying um, very competent players but nothing else? Like, what are the components that make up that team? And it's funny that you mentioned that with the Rockets because I actually want to bring up my number five as well. Um, and a lot of it was kind of not a knock on Houston, um, just as much as it was just this team I thought was very, very solid and just maybe a year too young. Um, and for me, that was the 1994, 1995 Orlando Magic. Um, I mean, Brian Hill was their coach. Uh, they were number one in offensive rating. They were a top 15 defensive rating. They were top five in net rating. Uh, they went through Boston, went through Chicago um, as MJ was just getting back, uh, beat Indiana, and then unfortunately got swept from by the Rockets. Uh, but I feel like it was a mix of things. I guess the Rockets had experience having done this the year before. They had the addition of Clyde Drexler over Vernon Maxwell uh, from last year. So you still had some top um, like three-point shooting from guys like Kenny Smith, um, from, from guys all around the roster, Robert Ory as well, Sam Cassell off the bench. You had guys who could space the floor around Akeem Olajuwon. Um, 
but you also had a, a two guard who was much superior than any of the Rockets had before that in Clyde Dreisler, who was still kind of the tail end of his prime, uh, still doing really good work for the Houston Rockets. Uh, for the Magic, though, I mean, you have one of the more dominant big men ever, like one of the most, I say the most dominant big men ever, but like just not in his prime, but just very, very good. And Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, you also had a stable of three point shooters as well. I like to look at that Magic team as a team ahead of his time. Um, similar to the Rockets of that era, but also just in terms of having, you know, your dominant big man, and then you have a a stable of three-point shooters around them. You look at a Nick Anderson, you look at a Dennis Scott, you look at a Brian Shaw as well. Uh, Penny Hardaway was more of that, like, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, point guard, two guard, kind of main distributor role, who could also, you know, score buckets at ease. He averaged 20 points, five rebounds, and seven assists, made a great one-two tandem with Shaq. And you can't forget the addition of Horace Grant. This is his first year in Orlando after coming over from Chicago. And he not only helped majorly in terms of having that veteran leadership and being on the boards, but also that defensive intensity can knock down a mid range J pretty effectively as well was really solid on that end of the floor on the defensive side. So you had just a really well put together roster, but unfortunately, you know, you had that stunning game one loss. You had Nick Anderson with the four missed free throws, which I think doesn't get talked about enough, not just how that was demoralizing for him in the moment, but also like, career-wise his free throw uh attempts and percentages just plummeted from that time like psychologically it had a huge effect and you know that the, the, Mag- the magic team were just super young um with the exception of, like dennis scott and nick anderson who was this that was their first years really in that at 27 26 you know penny was 23 Shaq was 22 um none of these guys who were playing heavy minutes were um 30 or over and that's a lot to deal with very soon um to kind of come off a crazy year and then after that you know, the 96 season, Shaq gets injured and the Magic still play strong, but don't put together against a Bulls team that was just better. 97, Shaq's gone. You know, it was never the same. But I really think that team was a very dominant squad and I, they, they just peaked a little too early. Yeah, um, I'm not going to lie to you. They weren't on that, um, for me, like that 12 to 13 list I made when I was trying to narrow it down. Yeah. And I think that was just, I think that was like maybe in my opinion, like a weaker year for the league, especially with expansion coming up and all that and the dilution of the teams and whatnot. I will say this, you know, of course I went back and watched a lot of old school games, you know, for the quest. And I did watch a couple games from that series with the Rockets and um, Orlando. And you're, you said it, you know, it was a stunning game one loss and we know in sports, like how powerful momentum is, you know, there's no stat to quantify it, but, if you ask me in that first game, the first three and a half quarters of that game, Shaq outplayed Elijah one in the first three and a half quarters of that game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Kenny, the jet has an incredible run of threes in the fourth and then an overtime, and then Hakeem Elijah one with the putback shot and just the right place, the right time, you know, and, you know, history kicks in because of the momentum, but you're right. You know, that if that game goes different, if the ball bounces just a little bit differently, you know, the Magic could very well be the champions of the league that season. And I think that's going to be a common thread as we talk about our top five of it's really just like, you know, one unlucky bounce here, one unlucky bounce there. And it's just a completely like different version of our timeline because of it, you know? Uh, yeah, I agree. You're right. The ripple effects of those can just manifest themselves for, for decades. But you're right. It's a little bit here, a little bit there. And yeah, that, that was true. I agree. Like that, especially that first game, um, like you could tell um after that first game loss mentally the magic were just totally different squads you know it it just kind of got worse and i thought about not putting them there because of the way they kind of went out but and i just 
I couldn't get over the talent at the time and just how good I thought they were. You bring up a great point in terms of expansion and just how that does dilute talent. But all in all, definitely was a fan of that squad. Uh, but let's get your number four, Matt. I'm intrigued to see what you got here. Yeah, I just want to make one more point. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think this team is going to be on either of our lists. They were in my like my 13, but mm-hmm. like this season's Utah Jazz, right? Oh, wow. You, about, okay. Let's hear it. Think about, but think about like, this isn't my number four, but um, mm-hmm. I'm just saying like to the, to the idea we're talking about, like the ripple effect, like Terrence Mann has, you know, a complete anomaly of a shooting game in game six. And because of that, like, you know, revisionist history kicks in like, oh, you know, they played Gobert off the floor or whatever, you know, bull crap, like bullshit people like want to, you know, talk about with that. But the Jazz, like they very well have kind of, could have won the NBA championship this year if Terrence Mann doesn't, you know, shoot the lights out of the building in game six. But like it's just examples like that. But that's not my number four. But um, I see what you keep mean. going. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So another common th- theme I feel like will be something that is a commonality between our lists is these teams are usually the second best teams in a year where the best team is one of like the six or seven greatest teams of all time. Right. Yeah. And so my, my number four is the 85, 86 Milwaukee bucks that year, of course, is like the year that the Celtics peak, you know, it's birds best season. Mikhail looks awesome. Uh, Dennis Johnson parish, all of them look incredible, mm-hmm. but the bucks that season have the fourth best offense with a plus 4.2 relative offensive rating and the second best defense with a minus four and a half rating. They win um, 60 games and they get swept by the Celtics in the Eastern conference finals. But I think that again, like the supersonics there, this team has like a run of about five, six years where they're like on average, a 60 win team. And, you know, they're really close to getting to the finals. They get to the Eastern conference finals a couple times, but they just can't get past those Celtics. And I mean, I feel like this, this group of guys, beats most teams in history, you know, with Sidney Moncrief and uh, Paul Pressey and Terry Cummings uh, and I think like Alston Lister. But again, like, I feel like it's just kind of like one of those unfortunate things where, yeah, they're playing basketball in the same season as one of the, you know, six or seven greatest teams ever, you know? No, I see what you mean. Definitely. Um, And that's interesting. I hadn't had them at all in my list. I mean, I know that the eighties fielded some great teams, obviously in the Bucks were one of them, uh, especially when you look at uh, Don Nelson at the helm and the way that he kind of put his Nelly ball, you know, this is the height of that. You had, you know, like you said, a Terry Cummings and, you know, Moncrief played well. Ricky Pierce was just fire from the offensive end, you know, just filling it up and quickly. Um, Paul Pressey being one of those kind of do-it-all guards. So you had a lot of talent in these rosters. And, yeah, you know, unfortunately, right, they ran to a juggernaut of a Celtic squad um you know that that 86 team is is one of the best to ever do it so i totally understand um why that inclusion was there i do like it though like i said it wasn't uh, a team that was on my radar at all but definitely one that i remember for being just a very solid 80 squad and i mean the bucks in general you could say from like 82 to 90 i'd say we're like really really competitive units you know usually winning as i'm looking right now um at least until 88 winning at least 50 games uh, for most of for most of that time yeah and honestly like you know uh at least i mean i have a little bias towards him but i love like sydney moncrief and he was like one of the really the first like great two-way guards mm-hmm. um very underrated by history i uh i i definitely like in the back of my mind and i'll talk about this another time but um i really want to like after this series is over do like kind of film breakdowns player breakdowns on like just like 
you know, some of the lost players of the, of, you know, history, you know, like Sidney Moncrief, I'd love to just like break down his prime and kind of analyze that um, in a way I did for this series for some of the guys who are included in that. But yeah. No, I, yeah, that'd be cool, man. I mean, if you ever do something like that, count me in. <laughs> I think that's really, really a cool idea. Just to kind of look back and give guys like that some love. Um, you know, guys like that, that didn't have, um, you know, they were impactful players for their time, for their era. I know Sydney, unfortunately, dealt with knee injuries. Like he was gone. I mean, can't he play a good solid 12 year career? I think he played from 79 to 91. I think he was retired, um, in 1990 and he came back with the Hawks and it was, um, a totally different, um, he was a totally different player, you know, just a lot more of a defensive vet shot more of a three ball, which was interesting for the nineties for his type of player. But yeah, definitely agree with that for sure. Um, so my number four team actually was the, and it was hard to pick. I hated having a few teams that I tried to pick, um, like the, I didn't want to have two Oklahoma city thunder two Houston Rockets, whatever the case may be. So I picked one of that particular team, one of that era. Um, and I ended up going with a 2012, 2013 Oklahoma city thunder. As my number four they team. were on my they were they were close they were one of my honorable mentions okay so we can give a chance to talk about them for sure i thought you look at this team again i mean this was number one offensive rating number four defensive rating number one in net rating uh solid squad all together uh this is right after um they had had their nba uh championship or nba title nba championship appearance that's what i meant to say there you go um you know they had kind of rebounded they lost james harden to uh unfortunately they traded him away and i'm getting a nice um package of players in response at least uh to kind of bolster their efforts in this season you had a great russell westbrook season you had a great kevin durant season and the reason i picked this team over the 2016 squad is because by that point i russell had already kind of health wise and this kind of why he this team is here health wise russ was just 100 healthy kevin durant had not gone through his foot injuries yet like this was the healthiest squad that they kind of came up with um and they were expected they they looked really solid i mean you look at durant you look at westbrook serge Ibaka was a beast kevin martin played very well coming in um in basically playing the the in in place of james harden double cephalosha um kendrick perkins nick collison and Derek fisher at the end you also had reggie jackson who played 70 games as well um your big guns obviously were durant and westbrook durant averaged 28 points uh just under eight rebounds just over four and a half assists Russ westbrook 23 points five rebounds uh and seven assists per game uh it was just a really uh, explosive squad. Defensively, they were all over. Offensively, come on out. Between young Durant and young Westbrook, we're talking not just young by saying that, but like 24. Both of them 24 with Ibaka 23. Like all of their key guys, with the exception of Nick Collison, were 29 and younger. So like this squad was versatile. This squad was young. Uh, and unfortunately, everything kind of went down in the first round. Uh, Patrick Beverly ran to Russell Westbrook's knee during game two. Uh, he was calling, going to call a timeout uh, towards meniscus. Uh, he played through that game, but was out for literally the rest of the Thunder's playoff run. Uh, they ended up obviously being the Rockets in six games, but basically had nothing for a very tough Memphis Grizzlies team as they lost in five. Uh, and it really just pre it started the run of annual Russell, Russell Westbrook knee surgeries every year to basically, you know, one knee here, the same knee, and then the other one to compensate for one he's had, issues with that ever since and then if you look at the thunder as a franchise 2014 uh you're still dealing with injuries to russ uh and kevin Durant takes over um 2015 kevin Durant's kind of oh no um 2014 russ is out kevin Durant, or what yeah westbrook's out kevin Durant, and then you had Ru- westbrook step up for Durant when he was out 
Durant do the same when Russ was out. It was back and forth for those two. The final year you had both of them healthy was that 2015-2016 season. Obviously, we'll probably talk about that. I don't know if you have that team up there, but they don't make it. You know, they cough up a 3-1 deficit, and that's the end of that Russell Westbrook-Kevin Durant pairing. So I feel like the 2013 squad was really that last real time that you had a chance with both of those players 100% healthy at the same time. Yeah, um, I think the thing that kept me out, and you did make a good case, and I kind of, I don't know, I feel like they maybe should have snuck in my top uh, five. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that really turned me off them is when Russ went down, like the ship like immediately sunk. You know what I mean? Like they lost every game after that. And part of that's because at the time, Kevin Durant had more of like a ceiling, ceiling raising profile than like a floor raiser. You know, his game, his style, once you got like really physical with him, he had a hard time kind of creating separation and getting off good looks. And of course, you know, the Grizzlies were famous for how physical they could get with you. Mm-hmm. But um, so to me, like, um, I kind of thought about it. I'm like, how, like, how strong of a team could you really be if like one piece falls and, you know, you, the ship automatically sinks like with the jazz that we talked about, who I think, you know, had a really strong roster and were really close to making it to my top five. Like Conley is playing her Mitchell's playing her and they still almost find a way to get past the Clippers. You know what I mean? I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I get yeah. that. I think that when you have a guy just as dynamic as Westbrook, like the axis of the team is thrown off. You know what I mean? Um, like is someone that, yeah, Reggie Jackson, Derek Fisher were, were, were solid replacements and Reggie Jackson actually had himself a heck of a playoff series, you know, in, in the absence of Westbrook, but all, all due respect to Reggie Jackson, he's just not a Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook probably what, I mean, I'm, okay. I'm making one of these random claims, but I want to say top 10 in the NBA that year. I have to look back to be sure, but definitely one of the higher tier up there for certain. Um, and when you have that gone, I mean, his dynamic alongside, um, Durant being the other guy who is, you know, to be fair, I see exactly what you mean. He's the only other guy on that Thunder roster scoring 20 points or more uh, a game. So when you have that loss, like, yeah, that's definitely a loss. Um, but at the same time, like, and it definitely maybe shows a little bit of how maybe top heavy that team is. But if you go down, I mean, you know, they're playing nine players. You know, if you look at Durant, Westbrook, Abaka, Martin, Cephalosha, Perkins, Collison, and Fisher, and you can kind of see where they're trending. Oh, Jackson, too. But you can see where this team is trending, whether it's offense or defense. Like, I feel like defensively, they were solid. Um, but offensively, when once Westbrook went down, a lot of creation fell on Durant. And, yeah, I, I get exactly where you're coming from, though, and that is a heck of an argument to be made. Uh, I just feel like Westbrook is such a, like, above average. Like, he's such a great player, at least back then, that I think that loss does make sense. Where, whereas if it was, like, someone like, let's say, Serge Ibaka or Kendrick, Kevin Martin who went down. And then they just topple over. Then it's like, okay, like that guy was important, but like, was he that important? You know? Yeah. Um, but like, I think there's a team that both of us are definitely going to have in our top three that, you know, we saw them lose their second best player and they were still like, you know, very competitive in the series and almost came away with it, you know? Okay. I think I know what team you're referencing, but yeah, we'll get, okay. No, I, yeah. Which, I mean, okay. It's a high, it's probably higher up our list. Well, it has to be. Yeah. Let's hold. Let's hold off that. I want to. I want to. I don't want to. I don't want to jump out too early and unleash that. But yes, I, I. If I'm thinking the team that you're thinking that we'll get to in a couple minutes here, then yes. And again, that's a very excellent point for sure. Um. But yeah, let's get to our number threes. Uh, where do you have? Uh, what do you have, Matt? As your number three? Yeah. So, 
Um, this is one of two teams from that year, but uh, I think that the 2015-2016 San Antonio Spurs are the third best team okay. to uh, never win a championship. So you look at it, they have a that season, I'm pulling up my notes, a minus 7.4 7. Uh, defensive rating, which is like one of the five best all time. I know the best one all time is, I believe, minus 8.1 by the Celtics mm-hmm. in the early 60s. So they put up one of the best defensive dynasties in the history of the league that season. I guess not a dynasty because it'd be a single year, but you get my point. And oh, yeah, yeah. On top of that, they have the fourth best offense in the league. I mean, that year you have, you know, older Duncan, older Ginobili, older Parker. Kawhi's finally, you know, come out and he's. He's a high-level guy now. I believe that's an all-NBA season for him. I'd have to double-check that. But um, you have him. You have Danny Green. LaMarcus Aldridge is still, you know, in the prime of his career, and he's finally starting to acclimate after, you know, coming from Portland. Uh, I think that, honestly, what happened to them, we would have seen them basically give the Warriors everything they can handle. That might have been the greatest series of all time, honestly, if they got to play each other. And it's a shame it didn't happen, but. I think what happened to them at the end is they got matched up against a Thunder team that was just like the perfect foil for them. You know, the Spurs at that point, Duncan can't really bang anymore the way he used to. He's definitely more like finesse-oriented and length-oriented. And the Thunder were just like super hyper-athletic, and they just kind of wore them down. You know, it was an older team. And they did the same thing to the Warriors, to be honest. And the Thunder, they were just so physical and so athletic that they kind of wore you down. And like we saw with Steph Curry, you know, he got really beat up by the end of the series. And that ended up, of course, coming back to bite the the Warriors in the back in the finals as they they seemed like they were on their kind of last legs against the Cavs. And that might have contributed to them losing that series. But, yeah, they were they were an incredible team. If you look at their SRS, it's uh, 10.28, which was the second best of any team that did not win the NBA championship uh, since, you know, 1976. And honestly, I think that might be like one of the 10 greatest scores, maybe seven or eight greatest scores just ever, like even amongst teams that won NBA championships. So, yeah, that Spurs team was really incredible. Yeah, I, I, I also um, I they were in my honorable mention. I had a few teams that I was kind of banding around for that. I think that the only thing why they didn't get as much shine that season was just because of how good the Warriors were that year. But even then, if you look at um how they did in, in the fourth quarter, particularly, uh, especially compared to the Warriors, like that helped the Spurs out. They were number one in that rating that year, you know, number one defensive rating, number four offensive rating. They were a tough squad. Um, you could kind of see uh, the same type of roster uh, that Greg Popovich is kind of known for having with that ball movement with that kind of veteran mentality. But you're also having a guy in Kawhi who's slowly starting to transcend the Spurs system just because he is that good of an offensive talent one-on-one. And he clearly is taking the reins there. Like you said, the perfect uh, partner sidekick in LaMarcus Aldridge. They made a great tandem. Tony Parker was still effective. Yeah. Like you said, it was, it was a very, very good team. And yeah, it, it, it sucked the way that it ultimately ended for them, that, that they had a nice lead, that, that Thunder team was just, that Thunder team was, was a buzzsaw. You know, I don't think there's any other way to say it than that. The Thunder team was was something to be reckoned with um, for sure. But, yeah, you look yeah, at that. Kawhi was, um, uh-huh. Kawhi was, sorry to cut you off, but Kawhi no, was uh, first, a first-team All-NBA that season. That was his first year making an All-NBA team. So he's basically like, you know, a top seven, top six player in the world. Um, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, uh, yeah, just, but you, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you kind of get like uh you get like the beautiful game spurs but like with now like Kawhi having evolved maybe you get a little bit less of the ball movement but you have the evolution of Kawhi leonard and he's still at that point one of the three or four best defenders in the league but um it's just crazy to me i guess that we have two such like really really incredible teams that season in the warriors and the spurs and neither one of them wins the nba championship you know yeah 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 it's, it's kind of hilarious to think about in, in retrospect that way i i think it's funny just how good a year that was you know just how solid of a year that was in terms of the talent available and i guess I, I, my number three um I, I was tempted after we talked about it, just kind of talk about to, to, to switch to switch my um number three and number two around but i'm gonna stick to my guns uh, my number three is the 2017 2018 houston rockets which Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the team we we're talking about surviving without? Yes. Really yes, having that their that is them. All right, there you go. So uh, that Rockets team, man. I mean, we all know the stories. You know, um, missing 27 straight threes, all of that. But like, they were number one in the Western Conference. They were second off in in, in um. They were not second. My fault. They were. Yeah, second in terms of points per game. I'm trying to look up their offensive rating, but in terms of just how solid a squad this was and how un, I, I want to say unorthodox it was because you had you know your two kind of guard tandem um just the best in, in Chris Paul and James Harden but you also had at the time uh uh just the stable of shooters around them uh Ryan Anderson Trevor Reza Eric Gordon Gerald Green Clint Capella coming to his own people forget Joan Johnson was on that squad um like this team was something else they were first in offensive rating sixth in defensive rating first in net rating they kind of breezed through the first two rounds blowing past the wolves and the jazz only giving up a game apiece in both rounds and then of course suffering that chris paul hamstring injury and i think it was game six um and still fighting and scrapping and then ultimately going down in seven to the golden state warriors that year but that squad i mean harden was on another level i mean he's given several great years since then but just 30 points per game five and a half rebounds, just under nine assists per game. Chris Paul, um, even while only playing 58 games that year, 18 and seven, these two guys were just isolation kings. Both shot better than 47%. Um, both shot better than 52% from two-point range. Both shot better than 35% from three. Um, James Harden had a whopping 10 three-pointers attempted per game. Chris Paul, not too far from that at six. Eric Gordon was playing well, 18 points. He knew where he was, two, two boards, two assists per game. But you knew what you were getting from him as far as, you know, uh, uh, scoring just wherever. Um, Clint Capella had a double-double that year. Like, this squad was a very, very good team with an offense that was just so electric and a defense that doesn't get enough credit for being as solid as it was as well. Yeah. Um, so, they're – you know, they're my number two on the list. Can, um, okay, cool. Let's talk. Yeah. yeah but, <laughs> but so the thing about that team is interesting to me is you're able to build a top six defense in the league with your two best players being under six, five. And I know Chris Paul has this like reputation as like this, you know, staunch uh, defender, but at the end of the day, I mean, he hasn't been that guy in, in a couple of years. I don't even think he was that guy that season, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, if you watch this past playoffs, the way the Suns are able to get around Chris Paul's, you know, age and his lack of mobility and how they're able to conserve his body is because they put him on, you know, the least dangerous offensive player on the floor. Like he was on PJ Tucker, the entire finals, you know, and PJ Tucker, he was, he wasn't bothering anybody. That's for sure. But, um, and then of course, you know, Harden has his, um, 
very well-known fallings on uh, shortcomings on that end of the court, but they were able to build this roster, this elite level defense with those two guys, these two, you know, like you said, isolation killers. And they had kind of transcended the league offensively. You know, Mike D'Antoni once again, went against the grain. I read this really good piece. I forget who it was by, but it was at the time the series was taking place where, you know, D'Antoni who's famous for having, that incredible Suns team, the seven seconds or less uh, Suns team in the mid two thousands that, you know, just kind of went against the grain of the league where, you know, it's the dead ball era, but you have this like running gun offense. That's just, you know, jacking up threes at like a breakneck pace for that time period. And now, you know, the NBA had kind of caught up to his seven seconds or less. So he went a completely different direction, kind of went backwards by, he kind of went forwards by going backwards, I guess, with like bringing in like, this new dead ball era, but this time hyper efficient dead ball era, you know, and Harden was awesome. Um, Paul was awesome. You know, Clint Capella hadn't become one of the six or seven best uh, rim protectors in the league yet, but um, he was still good. Um, you know, PJ Tucker's at the peak of his defensive powers. I feel like they had a uh, uh, Mba Ute. He was a great uh, perimeter defender, very versatile just like a really good team. And they had like a, like a really strong, like eight, nine guys you could count on. Um, and yeah, but, uh, I don't think like if Paul goes, if Paul stays that it's like automatic, the Rockets are going to win and are going to go to the NBA championship and they're going to be the Cavs. If they do go to the NBA championship, it would be the Cavs. But I'm saying, I, I think the Warriors were just so, so powerful at that time mm-hmm. that, they were kind of just still playing to the level of their opponents. And if Paul had been there with their backs against the wall, I feel like they do kick it up an extra notch because they were capable of doing that and probably still beat the Rockets. But just because this team is the only team during that three-year KD Warriors run who actually like put up a fight and made a series out of it with them, like they deserve to be one of you know the best teams that's never won an NBA championship. And again, like like we said, dude, it's it's just about like these teams on this list are usually the teams that kind of coincide with those supernova teams, you know, like those warriors or like we talked about with the Celtics, you know, they're just kind of unfortunate that they coincided with that team at the same point in history. But yeah, I I love that Rockets team. And it's sad, you know, Paul still hasn't gotten his ring. I wish, I wish we'd be doing this podcast right now with, you know, Paul having a ring on his finger, but that's not to say I'm not a Bucks fan. Of course I love, I love Giannis and everything too, but you know, you just feel for Paul. No, 100%. You have to. And and honestly, it's 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 weird that how much of the teams we talked about, you know, it hasn't even really been injuries or anything there as much as it's been, listen, you know, this squad was a really good team and they just ran to a team that, you know, they had to go through the squad that was so much better, you know, that history will, history will kind of bury how good this team was just because we all go to, you know, the top of the top, you know, look at 2016. First team they brought up, obviously the Warriors, then maybe the Cavs, then the Thunder, and then you look at the Spurs. You know what I mean? Even though that was one of their better iterations as a team, you know? Very unique. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah. Now, um, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm really curious to see who your number two is because like, I, I know, I like 100% certain I know your number one, but really? I'm, like, okay. I'm trying to look through like my my big board. Well, I feel like I, it has to be that team is number one, but I don't know. I guess. Let me uh-huh. Well, I think I'm going to surprise you because I went back and forth and I feel like what I originally was going to have as my number one was conventional. And then I kind of went outside the box. But looking back on it, I, I, I like where I went with it. OK, but anyway, I'll go with number two. My number two was the 2016 Warriors. Damn it. Yeah, that's the, I thought that was number one. That was going to be my number one. It really was. I flip flop my one and two. I'm really curious to see if you have 
my um i'm curious to see your number one let me just say that or your number two um but yeah i took the warriors i figured they had to be on this list at some point one of the greatest teams ever like I, at first there was so many other teams i liked i was like uh, i don't know but i'm like yeah like you can't not include them and that's why i bumped the thunder and took an earlier iteration of them uh and then ended up going with um uh, of course the um the 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 warriors for this one but looking at it you I mean you have a team they were 73 and nine like that's not been done before you know um they're 36 and four with just luke walton by himself uh you know they were first in offensive rating fifth in defensive rating second in net rating they ran through everyone pretty much uh, they you know uh that year got past the hall got past the rockets uh the blazers again giving up one game apiece for both their toughest series uh, well, I guess their ultimately toughest series was the finals, but their toughest series up to that point was Oklahoma City uh, coming back from a 3-1 deficit there before, of course, giving up their own 3-1 deficit, deficit to the Cavs. We already know about this squad, just how um, crazy they were from an offensive standpoint, getting one of the best offensive years in NBA history from Steph Curry. Also getting solid support, of course, from Klay Thompson, Draymond Green having a great bench lineup as well um that was the last year that they had harrison barnes um on that squad you had andrew bogut uh you had a lot of good guys you know ian clark had his moments sean livingston brandon rush it was a, a leandro Morosa. it was a very good unit uh a unit that only got better of course the year after when they added kevin durant to the mix and and kind of mixed up a little bit their roster but that squad i mean I'm already saying more than I probably should for a team we all know. It it just felt like they're surprising for number two because I really like number one and just the circumstances that brought that team about and uh, what unfortunately failed them later on. But for that uh, Warriors team, I I mean, right up until the finals, it seemed like it was just inevitable. They were Thanos. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious because, so yeah, the Warriors are my number one. So to summarize, you know, I have Warriors at one. I have the 17, 18 Rockets at two. I have Spurs uh, 15, 16 at three. The Bucks uh, 85, 86 at four. And then the Sonics uh, 93, 94 at five. So like, I'm pretty sure it's not one of the teams I just named your number one. So like, I'm really curious, like how you got this number one. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you said everything about the Warriors that needs to be said. They won 73 games. And maybe if Draymond Green is, you know, a little bit more, you know, calm and collective they they might just beat the Cavs. maybe if bulket doesn't get hurt you know there's a lot of like very small things like if the ball just bounced a little bit differently you know where it's like the warriors win and we recognize them not only as the best team that never win a championship but like the best team ever assembled but i mean that's that's the name of the game you know it's a it's a game of inches um and i mean i guess that's football but you get the point i, 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 I want to yeah <laughs> I want to hear your number one, I guess. All right. Number one, this is probably, well, I guess it's going to shock you because you didn't see it coming at all. I have the 2002 Sacramento Kings. Yeah, that is, yeah. um, I'm looking through my notes. I did, I had them on like the big, big list, but they were not even in my like top 13 teams like I was looking at. So, wow. Talk talk me through that one. I look at that team. I think about how, um, surprisingly deep that roster was. And this honestly was going to be between them and the 2000 um, Portland Trailblazers as a team that I just, in my personal top five, didn't get a lot of love, but had like a very good roster relative to the league at that time, relative to the eventual champion. And then of course the unique circumstances that ended up with them not 
end up, you know, not making the finals and another team over. I think if we look at the years 2000, 2003, any team that came out the West was going to win the ship. We're going to win the ship. Um, I think it was it was pretty obvious at that point, especially when you see that the Pacers, uh, by the time they were out in 2000, they were just a team that was too old. Um, they had been battling all through the 90s to get there. By the time they finally reached the mountaintop, um, they, they just weren't. They 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 were past their their prime um, until they kind of retooled and then 2004 happened and we could talk about that another time um, and then you look at the 76ers it was Allen Iverson a bunch of defensive minded role players but the ceiling on that was really low and they look at the Nets in 2002 and 2003 good teams but not great ones certainly not finals teams if they didn't come anywhere else from the East but when I look at the Sacramento Kings I mean you have um, obviously Chris Webber uh, in one of his last good seasons before injuries really took him out, which is why 2003, 2004, all that, you know, it's kind of rendered moot. Um, we're kind of just reaching uh, like one of his last great years of his prime. Um, Peja Soyakovich, uh, not only was he ahead of his time as far as shooting a three ball, but someone who was really coming into his own that year. Um, trying to remember if I had him listed as an all-star coming up that year, I think it was the next year. Um, but no, three-time all-star. Yeah. An all NBA. Um, uh, uh, two years after that, uh, Doug Christie solid defensively. Mike Bibby, um, had another just a great solid year for him. Vladi Divac, Hugh Turklu, uh, Scott Pollard, and Bobby Jackson knew their role. You were getting guys like Gerald Wallace, who you know would later come into play in the NBA in the latter half of the you know 2000s and the 2010s, but um, he was getting you know good minutes for them. Um, well, spot minutes for them rather as like a defensive force. So I look at that team. I look how good they were, how elected their offense was under Rick Adelman. Um, people forget. I mean, this team was third in offensive rating. They were six in defensive rating. They were first in net rating that entire season. Got past the jazz, got past the Mavericks. And if it wasn't for, um, and is a late, it is speaking as a Lakers fan, but if it wasn't for a particularly contentious, um, series mired in controversy, uh, against the Lakers, we might have seen them in the finals winning it all. And so for that, they're my number one team because uh, right after that, you know, um, you had, unfortunately, uh, Chris Webber just shred his knee. That was a wrap for that. You know, Pedro was still solid, Mike Bibby and Christy, but like they didn't have anyone kind of even coming close to that main hub that Chris Webber was. Um, teams got a little bit tougher. They battled through. By the time that Webber came back, I guess in the next closest opportunity they had in 2004, Webber was a shell of himself as a player. Um, and they just didn't have the opportunity again. So I looked at it relative to the strength of the roster they had, who they were coming up against, forces that were outside of their control, and the fact that they had a very, very strong likelihood of winning the whole thing had they made it to the finals. Yeah, um, I have a couple of notes I want to say there. One, Corbin, I got to say, man, I really like, I really appreciate like your kind of knowledge when it comes to historical stuff and your appreciation for history. Like a lot of guys our age, you know, they know a lot about today's game and a lot about like the nuances and X and O's of the game, but like they kind of miss out on some of the um, earlier stuff. So I can appreciate that from one amateur historian to another. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, another thing I wanted to say, you mentioned Gerald Wallace. I just, I love to talk about this, but like, so I, I just searched up in basketball reference, double check, but he has this one year, 2009, 2010 is only all-star season mm-hmm. when he has like a plus five, uh, true shooting relative true shooting that season. And he's like, just a really strong, like offensive force. And he's like this really versatile defender. And he's just, I don't know. He's such like a fun player. And he has kind of like one of the lost, like great seasons in NBA history. I think that year he, you can make a case. He's like one of the, you know, 18, 17, 18 best players in the world. But um, yeah, so wow. I just thought we'd give Gerald Wallace a little bit of love just yeah. because he's a cool guy. Um, he's oh. got a cool nickname. 
crash, man. You got to love it. Yes. I, I thought that he was a guy who you're right that year. It all kind of came together. You know, it's outside shot was always kind of up and down, but it was really there that season, you know, able to get to the rim athletically. He was, he was still in his prime from that sense. Um, before I guess all the crashing kind of caught up to him later, um, by the time he got to Portland. <laughs> yeah. But like, no, he was a really solid player, you know, and, and just doing it the scrappy kind of hard nosed way, you know, his game wasn't necessarily aesthetically pleasing, but definitely one that was, you know, um, the fruit of hard work and you could see it. And the fact that it started from that point and kind of flourished to him being, you know, a, a main guy on a decent-ish East team was pretty cool. Yeah, but um, now to you, what you're saying with the Kings um, to go there, like I kind of, I guess you're right, you know, especially when you look at, you know, the Donahue part of things and, you know, the actual like kind of, suspiciousness revolving the series and that's a good point to make you know and that sometimes i forget especially when i was looking for the series i was looking at a lot of statistics a lot of you know the actual basketball perspective but like you did make a good point of some outside variables that were very well could have been a completely different way had you know officiating been a little bit more fair in that series but you know as analysts i feel like sometimes the best we can do is just kind of like okay this was the result you know like we can't, it's, it, I guess it becomes, cause it's already complicated enough. You know what I mean? To analyze sure. all this stuff. But like, if we start thinking about like the outside variables, like the human elements of like officiating and errors and all that stuff, you know, then it just becomes almost impossible to like figure out like, okay, how, how good were the Lakers actually during the, the early two thousands? If we got Donahue, you know, helping them out in these games, but. No, yeah. you, you make an excellent point. And, and that's something you do want to try cautiously for. I just think it was so abnormal the way that it went down. I mean, you oh, look you're at, 100% right. Yeah, you look at the foul that was called, um, I think it was game six, um, where basically Kobe kind of elbowed, um, he didn't kind of, he elbowed Mike Bibby like in the nose. And yet Mike Bibby got called for the foul, I guess, because his nose was, you know, in a bad defensive position or something. Like, you know, issues like that, it just seemed like it was um, stuff that kind of went crazier in the fact that, you know, that Kings team got together. At, they were a solid offensive team in 2000, in 2001 as well. But by the time 2002 came, Sacramento had more or less peaked as a team. You know, you look at how well they had come, you know, swapping um, Jason Williams for Mike Bibby um, and having him in was a huge deal for them. And that was the first year that you actually had Bibby instead of Williams as well. You had a, a newfound more, I want to say, defensive kind of mindset but it wasn't just that um when you got guys who came to their own more like page but you win another level you know guys um like who turkle who played what better um some of the younger guys kind of transformed and the back half of their roster was improved so you're definitely right i get that because it can be a very slippery slope trying to do the well this team was here but how you know looking back um you know if you look through everything through a, a fine-tooth comb then yeah you will find yourself questioning everything but i feel like in that one year it's almost very much like the Warriors with the Rockets in 2018, you know, where, yes, that team is still very good. That team is likely champions either way. But this team had their best chance possible. And also, once that chance was gone, they didn't get another chance to come back. You know what I mean? For reasons for the Rockets, obviously, the deterioration in the relationship between Chris Paul and James Harden. But, you know, the roster, the way that it was designed, like, you had your one shot. They geared up. They took it. Um, and for them, unfortunately, you know, Chris Paul's injury and missing those threes were out of their control. And for the Kings, uh, just the last two games, I guess, against the series were out of their control. But, yeah, I definitely am with you. And that's kind of why I tied them number one. Because, like, if you look at it by numbers and everything, um, no. I mean, this wasn't even – I'd even done some research, like, looking up, you know, 
um, top teams that didn't win. SB Nation had a very good title series uh, about a year or so back that kind of broke down iterations of squads. And the Kings weren't really that high on anyone's. But, like, I'm looking back, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, if we're looking at just the best roster, you know, absolutely you know, there's other teams that are there. But we're looking at the best roster relative to getting another crack at that window. Like, they had one window. They put themselves where they could, and it just didn't work out, you know? Yeah, and I mean, they're definitely, it, like, objectively one of the, you know, 13, 14 best titleless teams. But I guess I would have to look more, because I love that starting five. You know, it's a very well-balanced starting five in Bibby, Christie. Stoyakovich, uh, Weber, and Divac, but mm-hmm. I guess I really want to look back at Weber, and he's another one of those guys, kind of like uh, who are we just talking about? I've already forgotten it. Um, um, oh, Sidney Moncrief. There you go. Where I want to go back and kind of analyze his peak and look at it amongst other great power forwards, but if he is like what I believe him to be at this moment, before like really deep diving, and that is a person who's you know a, a solid notch below guys like Barkley, Malone, Nowitzki, KG, and Duncan historically then I feel like their number one guy is not, I don't know. I don't think he's strong enough of a number one guy. And I don't think like the pieces around him are strong enough to say like, okay, this is the best titleless team, but I do appreciate the argument you made for them. Oh yeah. No, I know exactly where you're coming from. And I agree. If, if they did win it all, I look at them, maybe his historical counterpart would more or less be that 2004 Pistons team. Where like you have a bunch of guys who are very very solid with one guy in Rashid Wallace for the Pistons and Weber for this Kings team that like could masquerade as a number one, you know, or could masquerade as a number one more often than not, but isn't truly that. So I'm I'm 100% with you on that in terms of how we look back on it. But yeah, this was this was very very interesting. Uh, thank you, Matt, just for yeah, having should... that kind of back and forth. Uh huh. Yeah, we should definitely do another thing like this some other time. And I finally found somebody like my age who can talk historical. <laughs> with me oh know? dude absolutely listen if you want this off season please let's let's make this happen very very soon um i'd love to yeah like you said give me a reason to kind of dig back into the archives i have a whole bunch of uh not only do i watch like old games and like i'm like you said you do as well but i also have like the rick barry basketball bibles from back in the 90s and stuff i love reading those things so like i'm all over man yeah let's definitely uh let's definitely do this again and i guess this actually leads to kind of i mean obviously you already have that same type of background hoops that I do in terms of just being like a student of the game and wanting to learn and watch old film and you know get a different perspective from like seeing them you know as we can get our hands on kind of footage of how they played and you're taking all this and you're putting this into this really cool project please uh, elaborate on the name of it and what's going on share with everyone because if people listen to this show they love the show they're gonna love what you're doing yeah um so for the last uh, eight months, give or take, I've been working on a podcast mini series, kind of like uh, if you guys have ever listened to like Jack McCallum's Dream Team tapes or something of that nature, mm-hmm. where or like if you watch like I don't know like a limited series on like Netflix or HBO Max, if you watch like Mayor of Easttown, you know what I mean? It's just like a like a little series, but it's a six part podcast series uh, called The Quest for the Best, which is basically the goal is to be the most thorough and up to date top ten list yet created in NBA history. Um, I've done about 70 interviews with guys like Bob Ryan, uh, Dean Oliver, uh, Pelicans GM, Trajan Langton, uh, Mike Woodson, a bunch of different coaches, players, media members, executives. And um, so it's six episodes. The first two episodes I've kind of, I haven't officially announced yet, but on the podcast I've been on the last couple of days, I've been kind of giving it away to listeners as like kind of a reward for listening to my friend Corbin. 
But um, so you, man. the premiere date as of right now is set to be September 14th. So not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. And on that day, two of the six episodes will be released. And after that, we're going to be doing one episode a week until we get to episode six. And I talk about two guys who I'm not going to name explicitly right now, but I feel like everyone has a pretty strong idea of who the two guys are. I'm going to decide which one of the two is the best of all time. But um, my goal here in doing this project is obviously, you know, to provide a very thorough breakdown of the 10 best players ever, but also for our generation, I kind of, I kind of want to introduce them to, you know, these like some of the old school guys we've heard a lot about, but we don't like 100% know. So I'm, I'm just really excited for everyone to check it out. You know, it's been a long time of just kind of keeping it to myself. Only like only a few people really know the, the list. I would say maybe I could count on one hand the amount of people that know the entire list. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a really, really big surprise. And I think a lot of fun for everybody. Dude, that just sounds really, really fun. I mean, not only the act, like the amount of research you did, I mean, to have interviews from people all over, like you said, not only just Bob Ryan, but also Dean Oliver, who, you know, I've read in, and loved their works as well, but to kind of get more of a holistic view of all these guys are going to break down. Um, this is going to be really, really fun. I'm really excited. I've, I've seen the trailer. We're going to have a link um, to the audio version of that as well um and then follow me i'm gonna I'm retweet the um actual like visual trailer which is also just really bomb in and of itself uh as soon as you guys hear this so you can just find me at corbin nba um or at hoopball tweets for that but yeah i, I just i guess one question i have to ask you um like are these episodes maybe like an hour or so long how deep i mean obviously you go deep and you 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 have people who've been there i mean not only your own deep dive i cannot speak now statistical analysis there we go but also just you know your body of work in terms of the research that you did for this but between that and your source there's going to be a true deep dive of these guys correct oh yeah um i try to be like cognizant of the fact that you know we live in a time where people prefer things like to be very quick, like very <laughs> instant gratification. You know, I'm, I'm like really anti TikTok cause I think vine will always be better, but look, people love like the, you know, their 60 second TikToks or however long they're supposed to be. I don't know. I sound like a boomer now, but um, <laughs> so, so I try to be cognizant of that. Um, I could probably tell you guys, honestly, the runtime right now. So the first episode's about 30 minutes. Um, episodes two through five are about 45 ish. And then the final episodes, it runs about an hour. Oh, wow. That's dude. That's going to be such a treat for all of us basketball fans, especially, like you said, we're in that time right now, you know, the dog days of the offseason where, you know, we've already analyzed and reanalyzed offseason moves and who did more of less and, you know, whatever the case may be there. We're kind of well past draft time, so draft Twitter is kind of quieting down just a little bit. It's almost just a little too early to dive into um, – you know, next year's draft cycle and doing too much over under and things of that ilk. So now we go back to what we always do. You know, if you're an NBA fan um, during this time, which is who's better, who's best, you know, relitigating those arguments, relitigating those teams and, and whatnot and to have um, the type of work that you're going to bring to the table with the type of um, name cachet that you have as well um, on this project. It's super exciting, man. Really happy to, and really looking forward to uh, get, take this all in. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Corbin. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, I did plan for the release date to be right during the dog days of uh, the NBA cycle. You know, I feel like it would it would work in my favor if I didn't release it, you know, in the middle of the NBA finals or something like that. Of course. <laughs> but, um, it also helps because, like, you know, especially with certain couple guys, you know, that are in consideration for the top 10, it helps that there's nothing going on currently because, like, I don't know if, like, for example, um, say, like, 
Uh, I'm going to name somebody who's, who's not in the top 10 just to, um, just to make sure I don't give anything away, but say like Luka Doncic, right. I had him at like 10 and then he had like a 70 point game, you know, the people, you know, just like recency bias, people are like, Oh dude, 10 is like underrating the guy. He should be like six. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. So I don't have to deal with that. Um, everyone's legacy is pretty firm for the time being Mm -hmm. at where it is. And but no, I'm I'm just like I don't know. I'm really excited because I haven't I haven't really told. Like I said, my girlfriend doesn't know who my top ten are. My mom, my dad, my sisters, nobody. My best friends don't know what my top ten is. You know. Wow. So <laughs> I've just been trying trying to keep it a secret as best as I can. Hey man, I am so looking forward to finding out the rest of them about this because this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I mean, listen, the more you keep it a secret, the more the more people instinctively want to know, right? Like I was already kind of interested. Now I'm like, all right, man, like let, let's get some more up here. <laughs> but that is. Really, really cool, man. Um, listen, one more time, Matt. Thank you again for coming on. Tell them you not only like again where they can find you. Um, they can expect this to drop, like you said, um, not this Tuesday, the next week, so on the fourteenth, um, to really begin uh the quest for the best. But again, let them know where they can find you for more amazing work like this. Yeah. Um. So the best thing you guys can do is follow me on Twitter at Mattisa15. Uh, Corbin was kind enough to spell it out. In the beginning of the episode, I do have like a funny first name. My first name spelled with one T. Uh, you'll never meet anybody like that again. Probably. <laughs> but um, so yeah, follow me on Twitter. I, you know, I'm going to tweet about it all the time because, you know, it's like my livelihood at this point. But um, also, if you can, you know, click the link in my bio. It's uh, the RSS feed and it takes you basically to all of the links for whichever podcast platform you listen to. So if you listen to Apple, you can click on the Apple icon and it'll take you to the feed for the show and just, you know, follow it. And of course, I don't need to explain to people who listen to podcasts frequently, how following a podcast works and how, how all that stuff works. But yeah, please just, you know, follow the podcast when it does come out, you know, please, you know, leave a rating, subscribe, all that good stuff, comment on it. Even if I, it sucks, you know, tell me it sucks. Cause I need to know if like, if this is a bad career avenue for me, you know, and I should look for a different line of work if I, if I suck at it. So just oh, anything, no. just please any feedback. Definitely make sure to check that out for sure. Give Matt the feedback that listen at this point with the stuff he's doing, he so deserves. All right. It's going to be good. I'm not even worried about that hundred percent there, um, but definitely make sure to follow him on Twitter there. Matt, thanks again for joining grace. against with your time and having a great conversation and, and best believe we'll be having you back on again real soon. Oh yeah, Corbin. I'm excited, man. I, I really had a lot of fun with you. Um, and you know, you really shocked me with that number one. thanks man listen i try to be if nothing else just a little shocking every once in a while um but yeah that was definitely a lot of fun uh yeah yeah, y'all know me i mean it it gotta have some little bit of twist here and there but this is gonna be one to follow for sure um again check matt out on twitter you can find me on twitter at corbin mba check out hoop ball on twitter at hoop ball tweets as well as online hoop dash ball.com thanks again for rocking with us today for my bro Matt, for myself, we are frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all real soon.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.